Great to be back, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Any Given Monday. I'm Hayden Nadoni. Joining me, Duncan Song. Yeah, Naz, it's good to be back. We've had an, another couple of weeks off. Uh, we're, we're really kicking back into off-season mode here, mate, aren't we? But, uh, now nah, look, plenty to get through today. We've got safety rankings. We've got cornerback rankings. We've got more quarterback rankings. It's another ranking show, guys. Um, lots of discussion points. I think this is going to be a really good one because there's plenty for us to talk about here, Nads. But before we get into all of that, let's dive into social media as we always do. Uh, what have you got with your love this week? All right. So given that it's the off season, I've been doing a fair bit of Netflix and chilling right now. <laughs> so the my main thing that I've been watching, I've been watching reruns of Last Chance You on Netflix. And for those who don't know it, it's about a, uh, it's below, your, um, it's like junior college to a degree. And it's about um, one... Uh, one particular school that has a lot of dropouts and um, really good players, but they, for whatever reason, they get in trouble, um, they get misguided, and they end up there. And it's about the the story of their season from I think it was either twenty, I think it was twenty fifteen, and just the journey that they went on there. And really, really good to watch because it's not just about the football side. You get to really learn about like the the person. The, the personal side of things and really well done documentary and I'm really excited because they've announced recently in the last week or so that the next season is going to be released next month so I'm really pumped for that but also I'm also pumped for another show that's coming out and um, the next season of Ballers with The Rock so I'm very excited to see that I absolutely love watching that show um if, if you've been hiding under a rock, no pun, no pun intended, um, <laughs> Ballers is one of the best... It, it's pretty much like Entourage, just with... it's Except it's run in Miami, and it's all about um, the life of an NFL agent. So it goes... It, it's pretty out there. Um, at the same time, the NFL is pretty out there. It's a great show. Really enjoy it. Um, that's returning next season. So... Given that football is still a couple months away, this is something to keep our appetite. Yeah, you're finding, little, finding yeah. your fix. I, I do no, have to exactly. ask, though, Nads. I do have to ask, because I'm sure the listeners are wondering this. How long have you been sitting on that rock pun? No, no, that that's all off the cuff, oh, mate. Mate, you sh- mate. You should know that by now. No, it's all natural. No, 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 that was, that was just stone cold. <laughs> oh, that was shocking. <laughs> Alright, let's just keep this moving. It's a train wreck of an episode already. Um, Let's keep this moving. Your social media hate, mate. Alright, so just going to a bit more of a sobering thought right now. So, um, Ian Rappaport uh, tweeted about Nick Fairley. And Fairley is a defensive tackle for the the New Orleans Saints. Recently signed with them in the off-season. And it's been announced that the Saints have placed Fairley on the reserve non-football injury list. And his season's over. So he's got a heart issue. He had a heart issue going into the um, the NFL after the draft, uh, before the draft, I should say, when the medical came up. At the time, there were no issues. Um, obviously, now things have changed. It must have progressed. And as a result, he's not going to be playing football anymore. Now... I feel really sorry for New Orleans. Um, 
especially when you invest a lot of money yeah. into someone who's a premier interior pass rusher. Not many, not many of those come along. Um, it, it's it's kind of well, it's a real waste of talent. I just really hope that Nick Fairley gets um, gets the treatment that he needs, and ca- hopefully he can return to football eventually. Well, that was going to be my question. I'm, I'm assuming Rappaport didn't mention anything in his tweet about time frame for return. No, out for the year, that's all we know. Okay. Well, as you said, a little bit more sobering. Thoughts go out to Nick Fairley and also to the Saints, I guess, as well. Um, and we'll have to keep monitoring that and, and hopefully, as you say, he can get the treatment he needs and can get back to uh, playing football. All right, so before we dive into our player rankings for this episode, we've got a few little news and notes that we want to touch on that have happened in the last couple of weeks. There's been a bit going on, even though it is the off-season. So two major pieces of news. The first one, as we're going to talk about, Derek Carr. The boys got paid. Yeah, big contract. Five years, $125 million. He becomes, as of right now, um, he becomes the highest paid uh, quarterback in the league. Yeah. Now, as a Raiders fan, what's your take on that? Let, let's start before we go. Before we get you as a as a pundit and an analyst, if we can call you that, uh, let's get your view as a Raiders fan. What's your take? Well, as a Raiders fan, when you consider the amount of quarterbacks that they've had over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, I'm going to name a few to you: Aaron Brooks, Jamarcus Russell, Marcus Tuiasa, Marcus Sopo, Andrew Walter. Josh McCown, Dante Culpepper, Jason Campbell, Matt McGloin. You know, you hear some of these oh, names. You've, you've uh, left even, off heck, the great man. Uh, Ter- Terrell Pryor. Oh, you've left out the great man, Bruce Gradkowski, mate. Ah, uh, the, the gunslinger. Yeah. But there were some horrible ones. Absolutely horrible. And even Charlie Fry was a quarterback for a, for a game or two. You know, it really was the epitome of hot garbage. And I, I watch Derek Carr now, and I honestly, I wonder, I, I really don't know how I got through all of those bad years <laughs> of watching football, because it is just so bad. Just, yeah, it's really quite amazing. Like, when you see what good quarterback play looks like on a regular basis for your team, um, there really is not a price that can be matched. You know that whatever they get paid, it's going to be undervalued because it literally is the most important position in all of sports. I, I completely agree. Um, look, it's been nice as somebody who's, you know, I, I love winding you up about the Raiders and have done for a while. So when you've had a, a you know, rotating door of just terribleness at the quarterback position, it's really been quite easy to find things to give you a hard time about. Uh, but... Now that you've actually got somebody who's pretty damn good playing the position, my, my material is running out. So going to have to find somewhere else to look, I think. But no, you, you're spot on. Um, obviously, as a Colts fan, and just so that the listeners are aware, if you didn't know, Derek Carr has replaced Andrew Luck as the highest paid quarterback. Um, so obviously, as a Colts fan, I have an appreciation for quality quarterback play obviously I've had the benefit of watching Peyton Manning for a number of years I then did have to suffer through the Curtis Painter interim which it was one year I know and it was you can survive no I barely barely mate I struggled with that year but then obviously Andrew Luck again so 
it is one of those positions that as a fan, knowing that you have an, a genuine quality quarterback at the position, it just makes your life so much easier. And you, you get to, you know, you come home from work and you just get to go to bed and you just get to sleep easy at night knowing that you have a quality quarterback. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine if you're a Browns fan. You, know, you, you don't know when it's going to end. My favorite picture, and I'm gonna, I'll tweet it out if I can find it again. Um, my favorite picture is the Browns fan who has just, I think it's yes. only like 20 years worth of, of just, yes. it's the same jersey and they've just replaced the name of the quarterback each year. And it's, it's yeah. I'll tweet it out for the listeners if you haven't seen it. It's really quite amusing. No, it is brilliant. Yeah, the, the list is a laundry list of hot garbage. It's that, not good. Yeah, it's it's a laundry list of who's who of like bad quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. So, interesting point though. We, we, we had this discussion off air during the week and I think it's important that we, we raise it for the listeners. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Not really featuring that high up on this list when you think of how good of a player he is. No, but I don't want to go too much into where we think Aaron Rodgers is in terms of our quarterback no, 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 rankings. No, no, in rankings. Because, we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a few weeks' yeah, time. Yeah, so obviously like, we think Aaron Rodgers is a very good quarterback, one of the better ones in the league. Okay, We can, we can both agree on that. Yep. But if you actually look at his cap number for this year, it's I, I say this uh, like we, with, with due respect, but it's only $20.3 million. Now, you look at like the by comparison, um, Rogers signed his deal in two thousand and thirteen. It's a few years old now. Um, in that time, the salary cap has gone up by a crazy thirty seven percent. So at the time, the idea of Rogers having a twenty million dollar per year deal that was like break groundbreaking stuff. Now, by comparison, in since 2013, since Rogers signed that deal, the top quarterback salary, it's risen by just 14%. So there's a discrepancy going on there, and I really do suspect that it's, it's only a matter of time before the quarterback market is reset, and we're going to see someone, and dare I say, it won't surprise me if it's Aaron Rodgers, maybe in the next 12 to 18 months, getting a deal that's worth $30 million per year. Oh, no, 100% agree with you. And it, it's one of those things, you look at it and you go, with how friendly his cap is, there is no excuse for Green Bay not being able to put together a championship contending roster every year. If It's almost as if, if they don't at least make the NFC Championship game, they have miserably failed. Absolute failure. And we talk so much about how good a general manager Ted Thompson is, how good a front office that they've got in Green Bay. But the reality is when you have one of the top top few quarterbacks in the league, you automatically are going to be thereabouts and your your quarterback can win you a game more or less just off his arm any given any given Sunday. Yep. Um but like the fact is the fact of the matter is Rogers still what he's got one ring. Mm. He, he should have more. He should have more. You're right. He should have a lot more. But I guess now, this is something we can we can talk about a little bit more when we get to our rankings. I do no, exactly. I, I do want to get your view though, not now, now that we've cleared the air as a Raiders fan, I want to get your mm-hmm. view on the deal as an analyst. So my understanding of the deal is that it's it's actually quite a, a 
a favorable deal to the Raiders in how they've distributed the salary and the the cap hit. Yeah, look, I'm going to bring up the st- the stats now for I've just got my my good work o- on over the cap, which is easily the best website that you need for 100%. for this sort of stuff. Yep, it's it's by far the best. I don't want to plug them too much, but <laughs> easily the best now the, the any given the, monday podcast now sponsored by over the cat <laughs> um the reality of it is if you look at his contract it's it's five years but 125 million at the same time you have to consider that car was on about 1.43 million going into this season um in terms of his cap number so you really given that it's a five-year extension so it's really a six-year deal worth about 126 million. Yep. So at the end of the day, you're getting a player for about 21 million dollars per year. Now, given that the top contracts are 24 million, 24.8, I think luck is on. Um, you're getting an absolute steal right now. And let's consider that in maybe two, three years' time, given the cap, the cap's rising roughly 10 million dollars per year. So in two or three years' time, twenty million is going to look like pocket change. I mean, right now you're seeing guys like Brock Osweiler get signed to—he was signed to a four-year, seventy-two million dollar deal. Mike Glennon's getting over fifteen million dollars. Sit on and the pine he, and hold a clipboard. Yeah, he's likely going to be a backup in Chicago. So we're already a state at a stage where mediocrity is getting you fifteen million. And if the Raiders, if that if they hit gold and Car becomes the ne- the next version of Kenny Stabler and he he's a quarterback for their the next 10 years for them getting him at 20 million is a, it's a freaking steal given the climate that we're in for quarterbacks oh it certainly is um my query to you and I don't know the details off the top of my head so I could be wrong with this one um uh-huh. what impact is this going to pa- uh, is this going to have when you've got you know the, the raiders have got themselves a, a fairly talented young roster going. Um, what impact is this going to have when it comes to time for you know new deals for Amari Cooper, Khalil Mack, etc.? So the, they've got three big ones that they need to lock up over the next two two to three years. So you've got Gabe Jackson, who's the offensive guard. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Then you've got Khalil Mack, who's got and he's got one more year on his contract after this year. And then you've got Amari Cooper, who who will have two years left on his deal. So they they're in a fortunate position where they can spread out the deals because it's not like they need to get multiple ones done um, every year. Right now, the Raiders roughly have about I want to say about fifteen million dollars in cap space still right now. So, okay. and that's after the car contract. So they had about thirty million yeah. um, going into the into the off season and now with cars contract it's structured such that 15 million is in the 2017 cap so they've got another 15 left um so they'll be able to re-sign gabe jackson to a he's going to get a monster deal i won't be surprised if he gets over 10 million per year he's a very look, he, he's pro bowl level um right guard um look, there's probably maybe one or two guards that you'd rather in the league and they've already got one, one of those in Felicio Osemele. So, like, if you look at um, Osemele and Jackson, neither neither one of them allowed a sack um, in this past season. So, they really are elite. Um, they're not going to have a problem re-signing Gabe Jackson in ter- terms of being able to fit him into the cap. 
Then in terms of um, Khalil Mack, well, he's got a year left on his deal. He'll be the first $20 million a year um, non-quarterback, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, no, I, I can um, understand that. But they're going to be able to fit it. And if you look at the numbers, Carr's contract after next year it, it goes down. So it goes from $25 million in terms of his cap number in 2018. It goes down to 22 and a half, then 21 and a half, and then 22. So, uh, and then 19. So in terms of the cap numbers, they're not overly absorbent. They're not getting bigger every year. So it's not like down the line, they're going to have some major issues. They're going to be able to fit everyone. Um, they've also structured their free agent deals like Bruce Irvin, Sean Smith, um, Caliccio Semele, such that if these guys do end up, um, father time hits them and they, they get a little bit uh, long in the tooth, well, they can actually cut them and they're not going to have any cap number um, in terms of dead money. So a guy like Bruce Irvin, he's getting about $9 million in terms of the cap hit. So let's, let's say Bruce Irvin does an ACL um, and he'll be 30, 30 years old next year, well, you'd, you'd consider cutting someone like that, and there, you've got $9 million just up your sleeve. So there are plenty of ways that you can manipulate the cap um, without losing any of your top guys. I have really no, no uh, reservations about it. I think the big, um, the big thing going forward with the Raiders is given that they're going to be moving to Nevada in the next few years, there's no state tax there. So players are going to be getting a larger piece of the pie, whereas you compare to California, who like they've got the, the highest tax um, state income tax in America. It's about 14, 15%. So it, a deal like Derek Carr's, the way that they've loaded it, he's going to be earning about 10 million more as a result of them going to Nevada. So players are going to be looking at that and they're not going to need to have as high a salary by comparison if they were in California. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point, actually. I hadn't really considered that, Um, but you're right. And obviously structuring it in that way, it it benefits Carr as well as the team. So, you know, the Raiders have done a good job there. Um, I want to move this along a little bit. We've talked about the Derek Carr deal. The other major piece of news that's come out in the last week or two, um, the Kansas City player personnel department's been depleted. They've lost Chris Ballard in the offseason to the Colts, and uh, John Dorsey's gone now, mate. Yeah, look, this was one that just came completely out of left field. So Andy Reid got an extension. I believe off the top of my head it was a three-year contract extension. And a few hours later it was announced that their general manager, John Dorsey, he and the Kansas City Chiefs parted ways mutually. Now, we all know when it's a mutual parting of ways that... Yeah, exactly. It's not a mutual parting of ways. It's anything but. And Adam Schefter reported, among many other journalists, that um, this was far from a mutual parting of ways. John Dorsey did not want to leave. So I don't I don't know enough about the situation to make a comment on, okay, well, um, Dorsey riled up something with Reed or he got had some issues with the owners. I really don't know the full story there. What I do know is that they are losing a heck of a general manager who's put one one of the best rosters together in the league. Oh, without a doubt, I I could not agree more. It it's it's you know it's one of those weird ones where he's done such a great job of it. Why would they get rid of him? He, something must have happened. Is the way I look at it. Either he he wanted to go, 
or something has happened that has has put somebody offside and and it, it's ended up in him being shown the door but it just it doesn't make sense as you say he's put together a heck of a roster it's a heck of a roster i mean like if aaron rodgers was the starting quarterback for the chiefs could you imagine like the it'd games be, between be a- chiefs and patriots in the championship game mate it would be it would be a you know the kansas city chiefs have been the super bowl every year more or less or and at that's least no in disres- the championship game yeah it's no dis- disrespect to alex smith either because i don't i don't think he's a bad quarterback no, no. when you compare no. it to a, an, a, a true elite guy like aaron rodgers um, the Chiefs would really be up there. At the same time, we've got to talk about where Andy Reid's extension fits in it because he's got a he's got an extension now. It can't be coincidental that a couple of hours after Reid getting his extension, that John Dorsey is out the door. No, you're right. It's it's something that there's something fishy there. I'm not really sure what it is, but there's certainly something not quite right. Um, whether that's you know an issue between. Andy Reid and John Dorsey, or whether it's an issue between, you know, the 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 Kansas City Chiefs as an organization themselves and John Dorsey, I I don't know. We don't really know what's going on behind the scenes there. Um, but you know, the Chiefs have have made their bed now. They've they've backed in Andy Reid for another three years, and and John Dorsey's gone. So that's where they've put their money. We'll have to uh, have to wait and see whether that was the right call. Um, where do you see John Dorsey landing now? He could go anywhere. He could go back to Green Bay. So, my, uh, he, he came from Green Bay. So, he definitely could go back there. I think he would have like 31 teams giving him a ring yeah. and saying, look, do you want a position? If, I, if I'm him, I'm personally just waiting 12 months. Take a holiday. You know? Yeah, have a holiday. Go around the world. Yep. And um, come back. You're going to be refreshed. Yeah, and you're going to have a lot of people calling you for not just one of the senior jobs. You're going to be getting calls for the top jobs. So, you know, I, I don't really see the gain to come and work right now. It just it doesn't make much sense to me. No, you'd have to get the right offer. I know for a fact that obviously uh, Chris Ballard worked with him in Kansas City and thinks very highly of him. Uh, whether that means anything, I don't know. I mean, the whole league pretty well thinks very highly of him. So. Uh, not not getting too excited yet, but there is that connection there. And let me tell you, as a Colts fan, I'd be happy to have him involved in our organization in whatever role. Mate, oh, yeah, heck, no, he can he, run the water. I, I really don't care. <laughs> Just get him in the organization. Get him in the building. No, no, definitely. He's he's definitely one of the best. And you, you'd, you could do very much worse than a guy with his experience. I think one of the things, though, that people are... Or I would be pissed off as if, as a fan, if I'm, if I'm like, I'll speak as a Raider fan, for instance. If, if the Kansas City Chiefs want to come now and interview one of like the senior executives of the Raiders, let's say Joey Klingscales, he's second in charge right now in Oakland. Now, if Kansas City pegged Klingscales for an interview and offered him the the general manager job right now, I'd be pretty pissed because you've you've more or less set out your plan for 2017 and he's going to be taking that IP along with him. It's, there's something like it, it's almost unethical, but it's, it's it's the way the game is played. It's the way the game is played. Um, you have to deal with it. I mean, look at Belichick. He's constantly bringing in rival players, 
coaching staff, whoever he can get from the Jets and and so on. You know, how much of that it, is actually for talent? Though. Yeah, how much? Oh yeah, how much of that is just to get you know the game plan? It'll certainly be fishy if it comes out in the next few weeks that the Chiefs are only interviewing candidates from the Raiders, Chargers, and Broncos. I'm by my understanding, I'm fairly sure that they've um, teed up an interview with a guy from Seattle. I forget his name off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that they've they've lined up a, an interview there. So, uh, I I, f- I feel for the Seahawks if that if that's the case. You certainly don't want to lose a key player personnel guy this late no. into the off season. No. It's it's it screws up your your season for sure because right now this is when. The player personnel guys are more or less getting together to prepare for the college season because they're getting together their scouting groups and they're going to figure out okay how we're going to go about this year mm-hmm. no, it's definitely going to be interesting to keep tabs on and we'll, we'll be sure to keep the listeners updated now let's jump into some rankings shall we Alright, so Nads, we've done a lot of uh, offensive player ratings for the coming season and where we think the players are going to be in terms of uh, individual positions. So we're going to shift our focus this week and we're going to move over to the defensive side of the ball. So we've got safeties and corners to deal with today. We're going to start with corners, Nads. Why don't you hit me with your top five and then I'll give you mine. Okay, so at number five, we've got Patrick Peterson. Number four, Richard Sherman. Number three, Casey Haywood. Number two, Marcus Peters. And number one, Chris Harris Jr. So I've gone with quite a, uh, an AFC West with a little bit of uh, NFC West Interesting. as well. All right, well, I've, so, got, I've got similar names, but completely different order. All right? Okay. So I've gone, uh, number five, I've got Akib Talib. Number four, I've got Malcolm Butler. Number three, I've got Marcus Peters. Number two, I've got Patrick Peterson. And number one, I've got Chris Harris Jr. Okay, so you've got Chris Harris like me at the front. Who'd you say was number two? Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson, okay. All right, so we've, we've got a few few inter- interesting ones there. I mean, look, you are splitting hairs. You really are. Um, really, really you know, are. There, there's, there's not many. You know, you could probably throw a blanket over about 10, 10 guys and be like, okay, yeah, I'm pretty happy with him being in the top five. Yeah. Um, the, the only definitive ones that I was like dead set 100% certain on was Chris Harris Jr. was my number yeah, one guy. Yeah, me too. I didn't have to think about yeah. that at all. No, exactly. And then number two for me, Marcus Peters. I rate that kid so much. He is an absolute stud. Well, I have him at number three. And look, he probably was in the discussion for number two, but I think Patrick Peterson is a stud. So that was that one for me was splitting hairs. I, I, I genuinely couldn't split the two. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like Patrick Peterson, I rate him. Like Obviously, he's, he's my number five guy. At the same time, I've seen him get burned before. So... For me, he gets burned a little bit too much for my liking. Um, but like I said, we, we are splitting hairs. Um, I know that you've you've mentioned Malcolm Butler at four. Um, it's pretty interesting that you rate him so highly. I don't have him in my top five. At the same time, Bill Belichick was pretty... Uh, I'm not going to say he was... Um, like definitive, but he was fairly intrigued at least by the thought of letting him go to New Orleans and getting a first round draft pick. 
Yeah, no, it is an interesting one. Um, look, I, I, I think... Well, obviously, I rate Malcolm Butler quite highly. He's number four on my list. Um, I think since ever since the the uh, interception in the Super Bowl, I thought initially, all right, he got a little bit overhyped after that. And I thought, you know what, he's okay, but he's not great. Um, but the more film I've watched of him, I genuinely think the guy is a jet. Um, I think he's... I think Bel- I have a lot of respect for what Bill Belichick does when it comes to footballing decisions. I really think letting Butler go would have been a massive mistake. The guy's only 27. He's still got a number of good years left in him. Um, statistically speaking, he's been pretty good the last two years. He's played every uh, all 16 games in both of the last two years. Um, you know, six picks, a whole handful of pass defenses, and he makes a bunch of tackles as well. I think he can really do it all. Um, as you say, it's splitting hairs, and cornerback is a position that, you know, if if the corner's really that good, statistically you can't, like, there's not a lot you can really point at to go, you know, he's better than, you know, player X is better than player Y, because if the corner is actually that good and doing their job properly, the ball shouldn't come their side of the field very often. No, exactly. They should be almost invisible. Yep. Um, but I think. Th- I would say like the top corners of the past, the past few years. Like one reason that I don't have Talib in my top five is because you do see him get thrown at quite a bit. Yeah, um, I must admit the, that's fickle. Yeah, it it is a product as well of Chris Harris being such a gun. But even so, he gets thrown at quite a bit for someone who is a legit corner. And I personally think if you put Talib on a on a side that doesn't have as good a pass rush, i.e. doesn't have a Von Miller, um, I think he would struggle a lot more than Chris Harris. I, th- I still think Chris Harris would be an elite corner wherever he went. Uh, well, yeah, I'd, I'd probably tend to agree. I think it's interesting you say that. Do you think, uh, building off that, do you think Tlaib was better uh, in Denver or in New England as the last two teams he's played for? Okay, I would probably say that his best years came... Uh, well, you could argue that his best year actually was 20, 2015 when they won the Super Bowl. Yep, and that was in Denver where he's got an elite pass rush. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I rate him as a player. I really do. I think that his name is a little bit more hype, though, when it comes to his actual production. I've seen him get on skates and look pretty average well, part, quite, part of the, quite a bit. Part of the reason that I've got him as high as I do and it's it's probably not the greatest reason to, to rank somebody as high as I do but I think he's the closest we've got in the league at the moment to a genuine shutdown corner like at, at a genuine shutdown corner in, in my opinion and I read this in an article I can't, I can't remember where the article was or who wrote it but it was an article on shutdown corners and they named three that have ever been in existence in the in the entire history of the NFL. They've named three guys that they've said are out and out genuine shutdown corners. Do you, do you reckon you can name the three? Um, Dion. Dion. He was the first prime time. Now, did they uh, three ever? Oh, jeez. Genuine shutdown corners. See, look, you could be calling Darrell Revis. Yep, they had Darrell Revis in his prime. 
Yeah, and did they have Namdi Asamoah? No. They didn't. See, I, w- I consider Namdi as every bit as good as Revis drew that. Like, I know you do. We've had that discussion many a time during those yeah, years. Well, I look at it and I see that he wasn't even thrown to at times. He was averaged like one th- pass attempt at him per game. Um, his average yards that he would give up in an entire season was roughly about 150 to 200 over a whole season and on average less than a touchdown he would give up per year. Now, the the top corners in the league give about 350 to 400 yards. So, look, I know that the Raiders' defense was terrible, but he was an absolute stud on those years. And you put on the tape and the tape didn't lie. But look, I, I really have no idea who the third guy would be. Is it someone in like the current era? Uh, he's not playing anymore, no. But he's fairly recent. Okay, so g- give me a team. Uh, Denver Broncos. Oh, um, Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey. They were the three genuine shutdown corners. And I think yeah. they're pretty close to being right. Like, nobody else really entered the com- like conversation for me. But I think Akeem Tlaib is the closest that's playing at the moment to being a genuine shutdown corner, and I don't think he is. But I thought that... Because I have a lot of respect for that genuine... You know, obviously Primetime was the guy that started it all, but... He genuinely, like, completely took out opposing number one wide receivers. Like, yeah, he, he coined the term shutdown. Now it gets thrown around all the time, but he genuinely shut down half the field by himself. It, it gets overly thrown about these days. It does. Days. It really does. And that's why I thought this was quite an interesting article. I really wish I'd saved it somewhere so I could tweet it out, but... It was, it was quite interesting. But that was the, the basis for my thinking for Akib Tlaib. There's one I do want to point out in your ranking, well, not point out, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Casey Hayward. Okay, this look, he's really underrated. He's had, I look at his body of work, and he's had a number of really, really solid years. Um, the, the guy was an absolute jet coming out of, out of college, and look, he's been in the league five years now. Um, he's more or less been a key player on that Chargers defense every year. Um, I think he's one of those guys that if he was actually on a defense like Denver's, they would be talking about him in the same vein as Chris Harris, Akeem Tlaib, that, that kind of like ilk, I guess. But the fact of the matter is he's on a Chargers defense that, look, they're okay. They were like middle of the pack, but they don't have like many stars outside of Melvin Gordon, um, not Melvin Gordon, Mel, um, Melvin Ingram. Ingram. Yeah, and Joey Bosa, they don't really have much talent on the rest of that, that team. So, you know, he almost gets sh- uh, overshadowed a little bit, um, but I rate I rate him very, very highly. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the w- when he played in Green Bay, I, I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really know much about him. He wasn't, you know, that guy that when, when you're talking about top corners sprung to mind and and statistically speaking he actually did a reasonably good job in green bay obviously um since he's moved to san diego uh he's improved out of sight and, and has obviously been named to uh, to be a pro bowler uh since moving to san diego but statistically speaking there's not a huge difference in terms of his his uh performance the big difference though is that uh, is the number of games he started. So in San Diego, he started 14 games in 2016. The highest he ever started in four years at Green Bay was 11. 
It's interesting you look at that though, but I know he's a corner and you, they get rotated through. Exactly. And, and so a, you consider that nickel yeah, nickel he, corners yeah. are in the game roughly seventy to seventy five percent of the time. So, you know, a player can you can go in base yeah. defense for the first play and then you go into nickel the rest of the game, but it shows that he didn't start. Um, no, he got but, plenty of snaps. No, he did get plenty of snaps. But uh, no, I just think it's interesting the difference he's had playing in Green Bay to playing in San Diego. Um, oh yeah, for sure. But certainly, I mean, even even in the end of his tenure in Green Bay, he he improved from where he started. So in the last couple of years, he's certainly come on uh, a long, long way. Um, to be honest with you, though, I didn't even factor him really into the top five consideration. I made a little short list, and he yep. was on it, but it was kind of more of an oversight. Like, he's he, there, but he, yeah. yeah, he was one that I looked at, and I was like, okay, I sort of I, w- I went and put on a bit of like a few charges tapes and was watching a few games and then I went back to when he was in Green Bay in 2015 I was flicking flicking around with the new NFL game pass because um, they've changed the whole user interface of that and don't even get me started that that would be another social media hate of mine they've changed <laughs> it and it sucks it absolutely sucks um, they need to get all the bugs ironed out quickly um, it's sort of better than it was last week but but uh, that's for another day. Um, but the, the, more, the more I watched of Hayward, the more I thought, geez, he can play, he can play. Yep, I'm liking this, I'm liking this. And he, he just, he, he was a guy that on a bad defense, he stood out. No, that's fair, cool. There's a couple other names I want to throw at you. And I want to know sure. how close they were to making it onto your list. All right. Of five. Um, obviously, Richard Sherman, I don't have on my list, but he was in my discussion. Yep, um, I think that's a that's a fair call though. You know, he could go either way. Yep, I, I think we'll, we'll talk about Richard Sherman briefly. Um, I I personally he's on think, the downside. Yeah, I think his best days are behind him, uh, and because we were, because we were projecting this going forward, I, I elected not to include him. Um, that was pretty well the reasoning for that. As you say, he's he's certainly on the decline from where he has has been. Um, but a couple of other names I want to throw at you, and I want to get your thoughts. Josh Norman. No, not even considering. Didn't <laughs> rate him. Um, he had one good year in Carolina. Um, was able to parlay that into a, a mega deal uh, with the Redskins. He's been an average corner. He is getting overpaid. I, I More hype than, than production for me. I think he... he... I looked at him, and I was like, yeah, nah. No thanks. I think he's uh, he's responsible for a lot of his own hype. The man can talk himself up, let me tell you. Um, Most corners can. Well, that's true. They've got to match up the diva wide receivers. Exactly. Uh, couple other names: uh, Janoris Jenkins. Yeah, look, he's right there. He okay? Yeah, he, he, he's he, he's my number six. He, just for the record, he was right there. I I didn't rank them specifically, but you could have thrown a blanket over Janoris Jenkins and um, Dominic Rogers Cromartie. Yeah, that was both another of them, name. Both of those had as like that elite years for the Giants, and if the Giants can like get a little bit more out of their pass rush going forward, whew, that defense is going to be good. It's even even just talking about the the Giants defense. Even Eli Apple was serviceable. Yeah, look, that got whole a really secondary, good secondary is very good. Yeah, and like we'll talk a bit about Landon Collins yep, coming up. We will. But, you know, so that they've got another like uh, dare I say a uh, Seattle's answer uh, 
to the Legion of Boom. Oh, big call. It's, it's, I don't think it's a bad call, though. I certainly think that they've got the talent there if they can harness it and if Eli can do some magic. I can certainly see the Giants um, being thereabouts in the playoffs. Yeah, no, fair call. And the other, the other name I had for you was Brent Grimes. Yeah, again, with Rogers, Cromartie, and Jenkins, th- those three... They're all in the conversation. Yeah, play. they're in the conversation. And then AJ Boye is a little bit lower than that. Not based on what he did last year, more a case of he had one good year where he showed up out of four, and I'm not convinced that he's going to do it again. No, that's why I didn't include him. He wasn't even on my short list, to be honest. Yeah, especially when he's in Jacksonville. I mean, your career goes to that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to safeties now, Nads. All right, Nads, let's move along to our safety rankings now. There's a plenty of discussion with our corners. I think the safety rankings are going to have even more discussion. So before I get you to give your, your list, just for the listeners... We've, uh, we've decided to just lump all of the safeties together, both free safeties and strong safeties, because in this day and age, you know, a lot of players are being asked to do sort of a hybrid of both roles. You spend a lot of time in the box, you spend a lot of time back in coverage. So we figured rather than splitting the two up, we'll just lump them all together and just go with our top five safeties as an overall position. So Nads, let me hear your top five. All right, so at five, I've got Landon Collins, the New York Giants. Yep. Um, number four, I've got Tony Jefferson. So now he plays for Baltimore. Yeah. Played for Arizona last season. Um, number three, I've got Cam Chancellor, um, the hard-hitting safety in Seattle. Number two, um, I have Devin McCourty, the 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 stud out of New England. And then number one um, is Eric Berry, um, Kansas City Chief. Wow, okay. This is this is going to have plenty of discussion, mate. Oh, yes, it is. Plenty yeah. of discussion. So, I have quite a different list to you. Um, okay, at number five, I've got Harrison Smith from the Minnesota Vikings. Good call. At number four, I've got Eric Weddle, formerly with San Diego, now with Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Number three, I've got Landon Collins. Number two, I've got Malcolm Jenkins from Philadelphia. Oh, that's a big call. Oh, yeah, I thought you'd like that one. That's a that's a huge call. And number one, I've also got Eric Berry, so that one was a pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah, no, Eric Berry at number one is... Yeah, he's... There's oh, something about a ball-hawking safety that I just yeah, love. Yeah, he is just... You, you know, you look at one word to describe him, and it's beast. It's so... Yeah. He's so good. I, yeah, yeah. absolute stud, and I think it's great... Like his story about overcoming cancer is oh, one makes that, it even better, doesn't it? Yeah, he is tough, and I, I saw like I, I almost put this as my social media love, and it it almost transcends that a bit. A few weeks ago, I saw there was um, Barry went into a fast food joint, um, bought some food, and um, unannounced, didn't do it in front of anyone, wasn't showing off. He he took that food, and there were like a bunch of homeless guys around the corner, and he went and gave the food to them. Um, you, you see when someone's doing that in their, their downtime, their off time, um, you know that you've got a, a guy who, he, he gets it. Yeah. And th- there get, aren't enough of those in the league. No, nah, he gets life. 
yeah he, he just gets life and I think you know when you go through something like what he's gone through with excuse me with cancer it gives you that appreciation for life it makes you think a little bit more about society and about people that aren't quite as fortunate as you um, and then it's you know you walk down the street and you don't know anything about the people you walk past but they sure as hell have problems going on in their lives and you don't know how serious those problems are so any little bit you can do to give back to the community is just fantastic so when you hear stories like that from you know people in the position of Eric Berry getting paid the money he's getting paid and getting to play football for a living it's just it's a fantastic story that's a great one um, let's talk about your number two guy Malcolm Jenkins Malcolm Jenkins where do you where did you come up with that well, it's a little bit out of left field, and the reason for a, that... A bit out of left field, mate. Yeah. I, I didn't even consider him. I was going over the depth charts for the safeties and was like, nah, he, I don't rank him. Now, don't I, ra- I, I, him. I, I may be a little bit swayed by his 2015 season. Uh, okay. Where he, yep, was, he was outstanding in 2015. 2016 was a little bit more of a down year for him, but I still rate him very, very highly. I mean, obviously, he's he's a different type of safety to your Eric Berry. Um, yeah, he's more of a he's, box he's, guy. He's a box guy, um, but he's a hard hitter. Um, not 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 afraid of a tackle. Doesn't matter, you know. Doesn't matter who's running at him. The guy throws his body on the line, makes the tackle, makes the stop. Um, and I think in you know he he kind of slides under the radar a little bit in Philadelphia. I, I, you know, the, their secondary is. Not exact. Well, it's it's not exactly elite. It's not regarded as being fantastic, and yet he still produces. He still performs week in week out. Do I have him too high on my list? Maybe. Yes. 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 Maybe. Do I think <laughs> it's fair for you not to have considered him at all? Not at all. I think that's you know that's harsh. Okay, f- f- fair call there. Like, I, well, you've pro- I would say that for me, I had three guys that stood out. So they're my top three. And Sorry, then can you after- just remind me who your top three are again? Eric Berry. Okay, so um, Cam Chancellor and uh, let me see. I'm just trying to go off the top of my head here because my number two, I can't actually see because uh, my laptop's going crazy. It's um, Devin McCourty. Devin McCourty. Yeah. Where you're yeah. looking at 20 different names. Yeah. You, know, okay. you, you can kind of throw a blanket over half a dozen of them and you'd be happy with any of them. Yeah. You know, so we are splitting hairs. We really we are. To, it's it's hard know. to justify why we've got a certain guy in a certain position. Yeah. To me, McCordy is the definition of consistency. So I, I, I know you don't like me spouting my pro football focus grades, but... Apart from he had one down year in 2011. Well, I mean, hang on, uh, sorry, just to, just on that that uh, pro football focus grade. Who do you think yeah. the the highest rated strong safety in 2015 was according to Pro Football Focus? Was it Malcolm Jenkins? It was Malcolm Jenkins of the Philadelphia Eagles. Really? Yeah, 2015. He was the highest rated strong safety. Let's have a look. Well, his rating was 86.8 that year. So yeah, that given that the rankings. That, that would make him, this year, it would have made him the ninth overall rated safety. So, yeah, given that most of the majority of them are, are um, what's this called? Free safeties. Then again, I look at someone like Landon Collins, who he can do 
he's just a, a an immense guy stopping the run. Mm-hmm. Um, his grade this year was ninety one point seven. So he he had a monster year. Did he ever? Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about Eric Weddle. Yep. Um, you've got him at number four. Yes, I do. Yeah. What's the rationale there? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. I mean, he's a guy who's been, you know, he's been highly regarded as one of the best safeties in the league for a number of years now. And I think, you know, you look at his performances, just like everybody, he's going to have, you know, he's going to make mistakes, he's going to have down patches. But generally speaking, I think he's been fantastic. He's a four-time pro bowler, most recently in his last year in 2016 with the Ravens. Um, But he's just been a consistent performer for a number of years He's showing no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Um, I just think going into next year, there's no reason he can't produce at the level he did in, in 2016. Um, and you, with your pro football focus rankings, would uh, obviously be aware that he was ranked very highly in 2016. That's... Yeah, he was the number one ranked safety. There it is. Um, given that he spent a lot of time in the AFC West, I've seen a lot of game film on him. To me... I just there's something about him that I guess just didn't mesh. Um, for whatever reason, I always thought he was a little bit overrated. He does everything to me like pretty good, but not not elite. Um, every now and then you see him making a wow play, but for me, he was more a model of consistency. Um, so I I don't know you. To me, I think his beard is more more <laughs> iconic than the player himself let's put it that way well it is his uh, is it his Twitter handle that's Weddle's Beard Weddle's Beard yeah. that's the one yeah um, well fair cool um, I want to throw a couple other names at you the first one and I should probably we should probably mention this just for the listeners uh, Tyron Matthew the Honey Badger neither of us have included him I think well the, my reasoning for not including him and I'm pretty sure it'll be yours too is that it's not really clear what position he is. He's kind of a utility, just does a bit of everything, whatever he feels like, whatever the Cardinals want him to do. So it's kind of hard to rank him as a safety or a corner. Yeah, you couldn't rank him... You couldn't um, pencil him into a, a specific role. Um, in terms of being like that jack-of-all-trades guy, he is number one in the NFL. Oh, that. 100%. Um, that being said, if I, I was going to rank him in terms of safeties, he was number six. Okay. So I still rank him extremely high. But he, he does, yeah, he does a lot of things that aren't quite conventional um, in the league. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. There's another name I want to throw at you, Nads, that's not in either of our lists. Um, and he probably would have been in my list, but he got injured uh, in 2016 um, Rashad Jones from the Miami Rashad Dolphins jo- okay I actually thought you were going to say um, El Thomas but we'll get we'll get we'll to, get El, to Thomas El Thomas soon. in a minute no 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 Rashad Jones uh, from the Miami Dolphins so uh, for those of you who don't remember in week 6 of the 2016 season he tore his rotator cuff and was put on IR yeah look he had a very good 2016. 2015. No, even even in 2016. Well, the six thought, games he played yeah, in 2016. Yeah, the six games he played, yeah. he played very good. Well, he was a pro uh, bowler in 2015. Yeah, look, the, the guy's got pro bowl talent. Um, the main question for me is, how's he going to come back from the injury? And that's so the it, only reason he's not in my top five. 
Okay, yeah, fair call. He was on my shortlist, but I couldn't actually find a spot for him. No, he would have been in my top five, but I, as you say, it's very hard to predict is he going to be the same player when he comes back. But based on his form in 2015, 2016... No doubt, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Well, you mentioned L. Thomas. Give me your thoughts there. Let's go there. Look, in terms of pure free safety, in terms of pure single high coverage, I'm not sure that there is a better corner in the league Mac, uh, safety sorry in the league you know, you've got <laughs> okay probably Eric Berry would be number, no, is number yeah, one but I, I think El, right. El Thomas is as good a coverage guy as there is in the league one he and one and one A him me. and Eric Berry yeah yeah um, it doesn't really do enough in the other parts of his game in my opinion um, I think he's uh, it's more because he's so small that he gets stereotyped into this certain role where he has to play like the single high. And I don't know if that's fair or not because we've seen plenty of smaller guys in the league, like Bob Sanders, for instance, and they've they've the had Colonel. success. Yeah, in the playing the run. Uh, that being said, given you have to look at what Thomas has done over the course of his career. He has mainly been just that single high free safety in a cover three scheme. I can only judge him on that. In terms of his pure coverage, it's amazing. Um, but I haven't seen enough other aspects to his game to say, okay, um, this guy's a top five pure overall safety. Um, if you look, Like I said, if you're looking at coverage, though, it's 1-1A one one with Eric Berry. Yeah, I, I think you've summed it up perfectly there. I don't really have anything to add, but... Same sort of thinking for me. That's why he didn't make it into my uh, top five. Um, I am interested to get your thoughts on Harrison Smith because he made it into my top five, but he hasn't made it into yours. But you did comment when I named him that that was a good selection. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, fair call, fair call. Um, I watch a lot of Minnesota film um, because I enjoy watching them playing because I had Adrian Peterson on my fantasy team. So (laughs) he killed me again last year. Um, no, but in terms of Harrison Smith, the guy is a very, very good corn, uh, very, very good safety. Um, overall, I just don't think he was quite there. He was probably about number eight on my list. Okay. So thereabouts, but not quite. Um, he gets a bit of help from having Xavier Rhodes. Well, I was going to mention. I'll, I'll say that that was the name I was going to throw out as was he in your cornerbacks uh, consideration? He was. Okay. He was. He could. He, not. Not at that number five. He was more at that like nine or ten. Yeah. But he was. He was thereabouts. Okay. Interesting. Um, look, I've been high on uh, Harrison Smith since he came out of college. Um, so for me, I've always been a fan of Harrison Smith. Um, mm. It's good to see in his, you know, in his professional career in the last few years, he's been, you know, he's taken his game to another level. But coming out of college, he was great. Uh, interestingly, though, 2016 was his first professional, like his first career, uh, season in the pros, where he hasn't recorded an interception. Yeah, it's just one of those seasons. You know, you see players have years where they don't get picks, and then you see the the years that sandwich like those down years, and they have like half a dozen. Yeah. So I, I don't put much stock into it. Um, no, yeah. I I think I think the fact that he still managed to make the Pro Bowl. Uh, despite not recording an, an interception, just shows you how good his all-round game actually is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that being the Pro Bowl says, look, he's a great player. I think it cements his reputation. 
um, because the Pro Bowl is a popularity contest. But look, you're right in saying that Smith's a very good player. There's, uh, I'm not doubting that one bit. The guy can absolutely ball. I think it's, you know, you've mentioned that um, you've followed him pretty much going back through college. And I think it's really good when, as a fan, we can look at guys, you know, who are, they might be in their sophomore year in college. And you look at them and you think, oh, man, this guy can play. And you, you just something jumps out of them on film. You're watching the, the ESPN college game day and you see you see some highlights and you think, wow, he can play. Or you watch a, a, an SEC championship game and you watch an Alabama and some, someone just stands out that you think, oh, he's going to be playing on Sundays. And then a few years down the track, you're just tracking it slowly. And then you see it come come their pro like pro career and they're balling out there out there you know like i remember watching amari cooper for instance back when he was a a freshman and i thought oh geez i can't wait to see where he's going to be at in a few years time and then when he got drafted by the raiders i was like okay that's pretty awesome so it it really is good when you can pigeonhole or pencil in a guy that you know is going to be good and then to see it come to fruition that's yeah for me that's kind of like oh, okay maybe it's, maybe my eyes are a little bit better than what i thought they were. <laughs> no i think that's one of the best things as a fan particularly when it's i mean it's a little bit different for you with amari who, who ended up on your team but i'm i have no allegiance to the minnesota vikings whatsoever but it's still nice for me you know for a guy that you as you say i saw him in college and go yeah i, I rate this guy very highly and you sort of you i I'm almost like a de facto Vikings fan because I'm a Harrison Smith fan, if that makes sense. So it's nice yeah. to see when he does well. You kind of you're you kind of shipping Harrison Smith for the rest of his career because you liked him in college. Yeah, I was I was fairly similar with the Honey Badger. I remember watching him at LSU and thinking that like he didn't really fit many people in terms of scheme, like from a schematic point of view. But you know, when you've got that much talent, you just need to figure out how to get them on the field. Yeah, exactly right. Um, one other name we haven't really talked about yet that's a point of difference, uh, Tony Jefferson. Now, we talked a little bit about him in the uh, free agency reviews. You're that yeah. high on him. I really rate him. I think he's... I, I might be jumping the gun a little bit because um, he's... Uh, you. He's really only had like two really solid years in terms of his production. Um, last year, he had an elite season. He's going to be an absolute baller in Baltimore. You, you combine him with Weddle, um, and they're going to... They, yeah, that's a, a freaking good um, safety duo. So whoever are playing the Ravens this year are going to have problems like going deep. I know that much. Um, Jefferson's a guy who he stands out especially against the run he just he's able to throw himself in there and almost with no disregard or no regard for his body I should say um, in terms of coverage he's not a good cover cover guy I wouldn't have him as like one of those more uh, guys like a, a, a Oh, how do you say it? Like an Eric Berry or the, yeah. the L. Thomases of this world. But um, in terms of his run defense and how he can get up there in the box, I would rate him as good a run stuffer as L. Thomas is in terms of his pure coverage. Does that make sense? It made sense to me. Whether it made sense to the listeners, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> you get a whole oh, bunch of can, angry you can, tweets. You can use... 
Yeah, you can use hashtag Ask Nads. Nads, what are you, you on about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, all right. Well, unless you've got anything else, I think that pretty well sums up the safety review. No, no, for sure. I think it's time to move on to our, our next tier of quarterback rankings. All right, so now we've got through our cornerbacks and our safety rankings. We need to move on now, Nads, to the next group of eight quarterbacks. So you guys will recall last episode we started with the worst eight starting quarterbacks in the league per each of our uh, rankings. So this is what we're doing the next eight. So that's quarterbacks 17 to 24. So what we might do to start with, Nads, why don't we just run through the eight that we ranked last week really quickly just so the listeners know where we're up to. So I'll start with your bottom eight. Okay, so my bottom eight dunk were at 32, we had Tom Savage, 31, Blake Bortles, 30, Jared Goff, 29, Trevor Simeon, 28 was Brian Hoyer, 27 was Cody Kessler, 26 was Josh McCown, and 25 was Joe Flacco. Okay, and my bottom eight were 32, Brian Hoyer, 31, Tom Savage, 30, Mitchell Trubisky, but we mentioned that you had the Mike Glenn and I had Mitchell Trubisky. Um... 29, Jared Goff, 28, Josh McCown, 27, Trevor Simeon, 26, Blake Bortles, and 25, Sam Bradford. So let's jump into the next eight. So who are your quarterbacks from 17 to 24? Okay, so the talent seems to, in my opinion, it goes up a level in here, and I think you can almost split these next eight into a few tiers. So at 24, I've got Tyrod Taylor. At 23, we've got Mike Glennon. 22, Carson Wentz. 21 is Sam Bradford. Number 20 is Andy Dalton. Number 19, Dak Prescott. Number 18, Carson Palmer. And number 17, Alex Smith. Okay, interesting. So we've got a few similarities. Um, I very much agree. I've, I've kind of done this in tiers. Um, so, you know, you could have any... I'll, I'll rank them first and then explain. So at 24, I've got Cody Kessler. 23, I've got Ryan Tannehill. 22, Tyrod Taylor. 21, Joe Flacco. 20, Carson Wentz. 19, Kirk Cousins. 18, Andy Dalton. And 17, Alex Smith. Okay, so yeah, a few similarities and a few differences. Yep. Look, where do you want to start? Do you want to start at the bottom? Yeah, let's do that. Let's start at the bottom and work our way out. That sounds like a good plan. Okay, so I've got Tyrod Taylor. Look, more or less, it's pretty similar in how how we view Tyrod. He's he's not like a proficient passer, but he knows he's pretty effective with the football. I mean, he's a good dual threat quarterback, I guess, if you look at it that way. Yeah, exactly right. Now, the issue that I have is that, as you you will know personally, Nads, I am strongly against the dual threat quarterback. I'm very much a fan of you know your traditional pocket passer. Uh, so guys like Taylor are naturally going to be lower on my rankings for that alone, if nothing else. Um, but to be honest with you, I've never really gotten the hype with him, to be honest. I haven't really seen anything special that's, you know, jumped out at me as being anything more than an okay starting quarterback in the NFL, which is why yeah. he's exactly where he is on my rankings. Yeah, he, for me, he's okay, and he's not going to win you a game. No. Um, at the same time, is he going to lose you a game? Probably not either. I mean, he's... He's only lost um, three fumbles over the two years that he's been a starter at Buffalo. And then he's also only thrown six interceptions each year. So 
from from that perspective, in terms of giving up turnovers, he's not gonna be like that. Whereas you look at some of the other poor quarterbacks in the league, they're they're just a turnover prone machine. So I guess if you if you want someone who's like mediocre, but they're like they're not gonna lose the game for you. Okay, go, you go with Taylor. At, that being said, the guy's getting like a ridiculously paid uh, contract. Yeah, it's so. Huge. It's heavily inflated. I mean, the guy's not that good. But the thing for me, though, is, you know, if you've got a guy who's not going to win you games but not going to lose you games, you're never going to get anywhere with that. Surely you'd rather the upside guy who's, you know, going to be able to have that moment of brilliance and win the game, even if it comes at the expense that every now and again he's going to throw a pick or two. Yeah, look, the the rationale behind that is the thinking, well, let's let's um let have a quarterback else. who's not going to going to lose the game and then let's try to put it in, the ball in the hands of someone who yeah. can win it. And I mean, you look at what Buffalo does on offense. They're a very run-heavy team. Last year they had LaShawn McCoy and Mike Gillisley in particular, and that worked a treat for him. So, if LaShawn McCoy is able to run wild, well then it makes Tyrod Taylor's job that much easier. But if you're trying to um, get a guy like um, Tyrod Taylor to win you the game off his own arm, yeah, that's not going to happen. No, no chance. All right, let's let's move on. There's another name I want to talk about. I can't remember where exactly you had him ranked, but I, I'm almost... Um, yeah, I can't recall. Joe Flacco, where have you got him? Is he in this group? Joe, no, Joe Flacco I had at 25, so almost. Yeah, that's right. So he was, he was in, yeah, in the group below. Now, I want to talk about him because... We all remember the the controversy where he came out and said that he was an elite quarterback, Nads. And I want your take on whether you think Joe Flacco is elite. And, well, and let, hang he's on, elite. Let, he's number twenty-five. Well, let me let me rephrase that. Has he ever been elite? Well, he had a four-week stretch where he was elite, and that was about it. Yep, I think that's right. He was just fortunate that that four-week stretch was in the playoffs. Exactly. Um, that was probably the why. <laughs> I'm not going to say definitely, but it was one of the best four-week stretches of quarterback play you will see. And it's pretty crazy to think that it wouldn't have even happened had um, the Broncos' safety, I forget his name at the time, um, was it TJ Ward? Possibly. Uh, I can't or, remember I, I don't think, I think it was before TJ Ward, but um, missed, missed the coverage, fell over, and gave up that touchdown yeah. Yeah. in the playoffs. We were, I reckon we were watching it together. That was a crazy game. Um, and to think where it's where it got Flacco, I think the biggest thing with Flacco was that he was able to parlay the, that four week of just off the charts quarterback play, Into and he was going deal. off contract. Yeah. He was off contract, and he was able to pretty much uh, bet on himself, and he went all in, and he hit the jackpot. Yeah, it was crazy. Just the timing of it alone was just phenomenal. Absolutely crazy. But I, Absolutely I, I genuinely can't see him getting back to where he was. Well, getting back to that level, uh, shall we say, but I, I just can't see him being a good quarterback. I think, as, as again, with a lot of the guys in this group, particularly at the bottom end of this group, he's an okay, serviceable guy. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I've got a stat here from Trey Wingo. Yep. So since the Super Bowl run that he did, to let let's go back to that Super Bowl run. He had twelve touchdowns and no interceptions during that run. Ridiculous. So yeah, average of three touchdowns a game. You know, you extrapolate that over a season, you've got forty-eight touchdowns. So 
And zero interceptions. <laughs> yeah. So off the charts. And now since 2013, Joe Flacco has the worst touchdown to interception ratio of any qualifying quarterback that has played multiple seasons since 2013. Wow. So the guy is a turnover machine and he doesn't, doesn't rack it up and doesn't help himself by um, not throwing any, any touchdowns to go with it. Like, granted, That's... it's it's not like Baltimore have many weapons. No, I was going to say that, but even so, um, yeah, very very pedestrian. That's insane. I I genuinely wasn't expecting that statistic, and I didn't even rate him very highly. Yeah, it's um, certainly. I guess look, he's thirty thirty two now. Yeah, he's getting so on. I don't. I don't think. Oh, you can say he's getting on, but I mean, at the same time, you have to think well. He's still probably good enough to play another five or six years in the league, he's given gonna, the way quarterback play. He's not going to get any better. Oh no, I, don't, I completely agree with you there. And, and I'm looking at his stats right now, and even then, um, you look at his. Uh, I don't like to get into this stat much, but his yards per attempt is, for the most part, it's he has a career average of under seven. So he's a very conservative quarterback, to say the least. But at the same time of being conservative, um, he's still throwing up a lot of a lot of picks. Mm. So, yeah, he's just not good enough for me. No, he's certainly not the guy you'd want starting your football team. Heck, he's not even the guy I want. Any, I don't even want him on my fantasy team. Even as a backup, I just he's, a, he's that name that you just go, oh, I really do not want him on my roster. Just, no, I, I, I would draft a lot of players before I'd be drafting Flacco in fantasy, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially they got no Steve Smith now either. Well, that's true. That's that's very true. They're in a bit of strife. All right, let's move on to another name that I wanted to talk about in this group that we both have for at sure. we both have at 17, Alex Smith. Alex Smith. Now, he is a guy that, you know, we, we talk so much about turnovers and how you don't want to lose a game based on your quarterback throwing a pick. And that's exactly what Alex Smith does. So, you know, there's so many people um, or media experts, they like to proclaim certain quarterbacks, you know, that quote-unquote game Game manager. manager. Yep. Yep. Well, Alex Smith is quite possibly the best game manager in football. I don't think think it's quite possibly. I think he is 100% the best game manager. You know, to me, the definition of a game manager is someone who's not necessarily going to win you a game, but you know for certain that he sure isn't going to lose it for you. And he's going to be able to keep keep the chains moving. He's not going to make any wow plays. He's going to extend plays with his feet as, as necessary. And he's going to put the offense in the right position to ensure that they're going to have at least positive yardage on every single play. Um, Alex Smith does that to a T. Yep. Uh, um, no, go on. Um, I was just going to say, it, just on that point, so I've got his statistics in front of me. I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things. So this is his 13th season in the league that he's about to head into. So in 12... It's a long time. Yeah, he's been around a while. He didn't play any games in 2008. Um, but other than that, in 12 years in the league, he's only had four seasons where he's thrown double-digit interceptions. And he hasn't done it in the last six. Yeah, hasn't done it since 2010. Correct. So, 
you know he's more more likely than not to have a pretty safe year. And you also look at his fumble numbers. He doesn't fumble really more than like two a game, uh, two a season. Sorry. So I, I know um, he's had a bit of an outlier last year. He lost four. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, he he's just so dependent and so reliable. And he throws a high completion on his balls. I mean, he threw 67% last year. So, And he's still averaging 7.2 yards per um, per throw. So it's not like he's um, checking it down all the time. I mean, they've got Tyreek Hill there, who's a pretty good deep threat. It's going to be interesting to see how they go without Jeremy Macklin, though. No, very true. I think Alex Smith is the kind of guy that is... He's, he's the perfect guy to have on the Kansas City Chiefs roster or a roster of that type where you have an absolutely elite defense on the other side of the ball, all you really want your quarterback to do is not turn it over. Just don't make mistakes. Keep, as you said, keep the offense on track in a position where we can keep the chains moving and gradually move down the field and don't give up the ball and you'll win games. It's a recipe for success. Sure, if you had the choice, you're of course going to take an elite level quarterback if you could. But if you don't get the pick of one of, you know, the top five, six guys, Alex Smith is a guy that suits the Kansas City Chiefs system and their team structure to a T. Completely agree. I think that we, it's so cliched, but football really is about minimizing the mistakes that you make because it really comes down to the team that makes the less mistakes generally wins. That's why we see so like the Patriots, they win time and time again because they just don't stuff up. They don't make those bonehead plays. You don't see them making a false start or um, you don't see them running the wrong route. It, it sounds so ridiculous because these guys are getting paid millions of dollars, yet they just can't do the basics right. No, and that's exactly it. So it's uh, coach killers is what I call them. Those, As you say, those just bonehead mistakes that as a coach, you can't do anything about. You just rely on your guy not to be an idiot and not to jump the snap or move. No, exactly. Or move or, or hold or whatever. Um, but Alex Smith is a guy who he never makes those mistakes. He never turns the ball over. Um, and I actually... I kind of wanted to rank him higher than this, but I just couldn't on the basis that he is a game manager. Yeah, he's not going to be able to use his arm to win games. No, as as a quarterback ranking, he just, you know, if you put him in a system, like let's take the Colts, for example, obviously a bit of a homer, but if you put Alex Smith on the Colts, he's going to be nowhere near as good as Alex Smith on the Chiefs because our defense was so bad that he couldn't just, you know, focus on, I'm just not going to turn the ball over. I'm going to keep, you know, keep the ball, keep the chains moving. Yeah. You, you need somebody like an Andrew Luck who he's going to turn the ball over. That's the way he plays, but he's also going to win games off his own arm. Yeah. Um, with, with our rankings so far, what we've talked about is the idea of like certain tiers. And one thing I look at about Alex Smith, which doesn't put him in a higher ranking for me, is the simple fact that he would not be able to win without a running game. Correct. So the the majority of these quarterbacks um, that we have on like in this second second group of eight, they some might be able to win without a running game, but at the same time they'll throw too many interceptions for our liking, or they'll turn the ball over too much, or their completion rate is too low. Um, then you've got guys like Alex Smith who, look, they do a lot of things right, but they just don't do enough things well. 
and they're forced to rely on external support. So I would argue that the Chiefs make Alex Smith better rather than Alex Smith making the Chiefs better. I think that's actually a really, really good way of summing it up. I don't need to say any more than that last sentence. Yeah, let's move on to the next one. I want to talk a bit about Kirk Cousins. Yep. So I see that you've got him ranked. I personally, I have him ranked a little bit higher. So We won't spoil um, where you've got him ranked. Yeah. Then. But yes, he's ranked 19 for me. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he is, he's an enigma is how I describe Kirk Cousins. He is just very, very hard to, to pick exactly what his talent is. And I think partly the Redskins are in the same boat I was when I was doing these rankings in that they don't actually know if he's a franchise guy. Because if he was a franchise guy in their mind, I've said this on the podcast before, if he was a franchise guy in their mind... He would have been signed to a franchise deal already, but he keeps being tagged um, because they don't know. They haven't been able to figure that out. And I think when you look at him and his performances, that's the vibe I get. And I don't know. I genuinely couldn't tell you just how good he is from what I've seen. Could he be higher than where I've got him? Of course. Could he be lower? Possibly. But from what we've seen, you know, he's, he's only had two seasons of actual starter play and they've been fairly good you know we're getting into away from this this game manager type of guy you know he does throw a few picks he's in his two seasons as uh of having played a full 16 games he's thrown 11 and 12 interceptions so we're both in double digits um but he's still throwing plenty of touchdowns over seven and a half yards per attempt so not not checking down a whole lot Runs a reasonably high completion percentage, but he's only had two years of it. So I really don't know what to expect. And so I yeah. can't justify him being any higher on my list than I have him. I'm actually surprised when I looked at the numbers that he almost threw for 5,000 yards last year. I was really surprised about that. I thought it was closer to 4,000, but he threw for 4,917. So that that's a crazy number at 67% completion. That's... That's really flinging it around, doing a good job. That being said, look at the weapons he had yeah, around him last year. I was going to make year. this point. Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garçon, Jordan Reed. You know, a good run it's game. A pretty, yeah, it's a pretty nice team that he had. Um, again, it's it's one of those where you have to think, oh, geez, is the team prepping him up or is he making the team better? And I think in the case of Cousins, it's a bit of both. You know, he's he, he's probably every now and then he'll win you a game. At the same time, he's not going to lose too many games for you, but he's not going to be able to do that that greatness, I guess, on a consistent basis. No. And and I think you're right. It's again, it's that kind of is he propping up the team or is the team propping him up? You you really, you know, you can't tell. Um and I would like to see more with with a bit more time uh, and another season or two of you know data for us to look at, both in terms of film and in terms of numbers. Um, we'll be in a better position to actually be able to assess a guy like Cousins. There's one little detail about Cousins that we haven't actually mentioned, and it's something that I've considered in my rankings, maybe a little bit with him more than I have with others, which I don't know if that's fair, but... You know, we talk about quarterbacks and trying to assess good quarterbacks and it all eventually comes down to how many rings have they got. And that's why 
you know, the guys that are in the Hall of Fame and the, that are considered, you know, the best quarterbacks of all time, with the exception of a few outliers like Dan Marino, um, they all have plenty of rings. Now, Kirk Cousins doesn't have a ring, but that's not the slight I've got on him. The slight I've got on him, Nads, is that he's never won a playoff game. He's only had two seasons. I know, but literally two seasons with all that talent around him, never won a playoff game. Yeah, he, well, he didn't get the chance to make the playoffs. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs last year. No, so and, he, on, he only played. On, one. He's responsible for that. He's the starting quarterback. He played all 16 games. If your team doesn't get to the playoffs, at least some of that comes down on you. So, yes, it's fair to say he didn't get a chance to play in the playoffs, so the stat of saying he's never won a playoff game isn't quite reflective of the situation. But at the end of the day, his team didn't make the playoffs, and he's the quarterback. Oh, look, that's a fair call. I mean, if you look at it, if you want to look at it like that, I'm just looking at their stats now. Like, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, the only thing that really you could say was that their defense was below average. It was 19th in points allowed at 23.9. Um, third, third overall in yards in terms of offense. Um 12th overall in points per game. So I guess the yardage wasn't actually matched by the points production. No, but I just think, you know, for a guy to be higher on this list, you've got to have a playoff win, at least one. You've got to, well, you've got to make the playoffs. I just, I, yeah, can't, got- I can't justify ranking him any higher. If, if we put everything else aside and all my concerns about not having seen enough of him, etc., for him to really be considered a top half quarterback you've got to make the playoffs and you've got yeah, to win I'm, playoff I'm games. looking at his I'm looking at his past season now and I'm I mean like they lost a few I'll just look at a few games that I want to point out over his last six games of the season they went two and four um, they lost to Dallas Arizona Carolina and the New York Giants Um and that the two wins were against Philadelphia and Chicago, so you, you'd expect to win those two. But to lose against Carolina, um, especially at home, that's a, a no-no. Arizona were horrible last year, so that he should have been able to win that game. Okay, uh, not many people were going into Dallas and winning. He played fine that game. It's probably, ironically, his best game of the season. No, but then week seventeen, uh, where you you know you're really making you needed to win, and he blew it at, yeah. at home against the Giants. So you know that's a two-way swing because they're in the same division, but. You've got to win that game. If you're a playoff quarterback, if you're a top half quarterback, you have to win that game. At yeah. home. It's uh, not on the road. It's at home. Well, one thing I think really needs to be mentioned regarding Cousins is the personality and character concerns. I think anyone um, who was watching Cousins the past two years noticed. I mean, you know, I think that how you like, you like me, me now. Yeah. You like that. Exactly. You like yeah. that. So uh, I'm not sure, you know. The guy's, how old is he? He's 28 years old. Um, I know Brady can act like a bit of a, a tool on the sidelines every now and then, but he's got the rings to prove it. Now, Kirk Cousins, um, getting in the, the general manager's face, um, pretty much saying, like, give me a contract. Um, I think it was it's really poor form, especially from someone who's meant to come across as the face of your franchise and i think that's personally one of the reasons why they haven't given him a new deal i think you're spot on i i think it just reeks of immaturity and it reeks of somebody who you know as as you say the general manager is the guy that's going to decide whether you're the franchise quarterback at the end of the day it's him and the head coach right so if you're having an attack at him like that 
you can understand why he hasn't been given the deal, particularly when he hasn't had the on-field performance to prove it and to go along with well, it. Well, it's akin to flipping the bird and then saying, oh, by the way, give me $100 million. Yep, exactly right. You know, and if I'm the general manager, I'm going, you know what? Screw you. And that's why he's been tagged. Ex- precisely. You know, the actions that he's done would be fine if they were in the college setting, um, at a at a low-rate school where he's not getting noticed or, you know, he's having a bit of success and people could say, oh, he's immature, it's all right. He's, he'll, grow in, he'll grow out of it. You know, the guy's been in the league for how many years now? This is his sixth. Exactly. He should be more... Um, mature by now if you if if you're still acting like that at age 28 um that you're not going to change no what you what what you are is what you are no spot on well let's move on to another player that i want to talk about um andy dalton yep all right so what did you have him ranked that so i had him at 18 yeah so you got him 18 i've got him at 20 so it's pretty 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 similar yeah, look, what are your thoughts on him? Um, he's another one that kind of... He falls into the same sort of arguments as I have for Kirk Cousins as to why I can't rank him higher. Look, it's funny that you talk about wanting to rank him higher. I was actually looking at ranking him lower because I look at the supporting cast that Dalton has had. You've got AJ Green. He's had Tyler Eifert. And he's also had Gio Bernard and Jeremy Hill. And the offense that he's got, it, it was humming with Hugh Jackson. They made it They made it go. But, I mean, he's been in the league for six years now. This is year seven coming up. And I'm still not sure if we're ever going to see what everyone expected out of him. You know, his rookie year, he really exceeded expectations. And from there people thought, oh, okay, you know, we've got a gem here. And he just hasn't been able to live up to that hype. And with all of the talent around him, two of the past three seasons, he's thrown for under 20 touchdowns. And in my opinion, that's just not good enough given the supporting cast around him because that supporting cast is pretty, pretty damn good. No, it is. Now, look, Tyler Eifert's been injured for a bit of that time, but you're right. You've got one of the best wide receivers in the league in AJ Green. But the thing with Dalton adds, and and this is probably why, I mean, I I quite like Andy Dalton. I think he's a serviceable quarterback. But the reason that I haven't got him higher, I'll I'll give you a little stat here. Andy Dalton, he's the only quarterback ever for the Cincinnati Bengals to make the playoffs four consecutive years. In the history of the franchise, he's the only guy to have done that four years in a row. But the reason I don't have him any higher, Nads, he's never won any of those playoff games. No, and he hasn't played well in any of them either. Granted, he was injured for one of them, but um, the, the the other three, he was pretty pretty poor. So I find it very hard to rank him higher as well. Um, going into this season, people were talking about Dalton as one of the guys to you know pr- um, proverbially make the make the leap, you know, and the idea of making the leap into into that top ten quarterback range, and he certainly hasn't done it for me. Um, I look at Dalton and think, well. Could I have actually put him a little bit lower? And I probably not because the rest of the yeah. quarterbacks below him, I don't really rate that high either. I think where we've got him is around the mark. He's in that tier. Yep. And 
I think unless unless something miraculously clicks for him, I don't think he's ever going to rise out of it. No, I, I agree. He strikes me as a guy, and I love this expression, so any chance I can have to use it, I'm going to. He's the kind of guy who promises you the world and then delivers an atlas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it looks good coming off the bus, and that's about it. Yep. Let's talk a bit about Sam Bradford. I think you had him ranked at 25 I last did, time. Yes. Yeah, so I've got him ranked a little bit higher. I think he's a bit of an enigma. Um, to me, he, he's... I, I call him the great robber of the NFL because, you know, only he's had, what, the highest, highest um, NFL draft contract in history, something. It's like $100 million or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was six, six years, $100 million That sounds coming right. Out straight out of the league with the highest guaranteed. I think it was over $50 million in guaranteed money. Also sounds right. Yeah. yeah, coming from a number one pick who had shoulder issues coming out of college. Then he manages to get a, a very nice deal with Philly, you know, and then ends up going to Minnesota and getting another, like, keeping a, a very <laughs> sweet deal. So, in... At the same time, he he's never really had that good production. I mean, I look at what he's done, and it just doesn't spell like good quarterback. No, it doesn't. Okay, look, he's been in the league for um, six years now, and his career high in terms of touchdowns is twenty-one. Now, I don't care how bad your supporting cast has been over six years. And his has been pretty bad. Let's be honest. Look, it's been bad, but even the even the worst quarterbacks in the league, they're going to throw for more than 20, 20 touchdowns in a season. You know, like I mean, like look at Carson Wentz for instance. He, he threw for sixteen touchdowns last year as a rookie, and he didn't have a good supporting cast. I wouldn't say it's much better than Bradford's. No, it's not. You know, so and Brad- Bradford's um, career high is twenty one, and it's not like he's a gunslinger. His co- um, career average yards per attempt is six point six. You know, anything below seven, seven's really like the the lowest that you want it to get. It he's just medi- he's mediocre in every sense of the word, and the only reason I have him higher um than a few other players on this list is one because the other guys are so bad <laughs> you know because the quarterback play in the league isn't that good and then this the the other reason is because he throws the last two years in particular he's thrown for a for a high completion and last year especially he was able to minimize the turnover yeah last year look last year this this year in in Minnesota he was actually pretty good all things considered you know you're going at 71% completions 20 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. The thing is, though, he got sacked 37 times and had 5 fumbles lost. That's not yeah, good. It's, nah, it's not good But, uh, you know, if he keeps... If, he, if he's able to continue going at, at that sort of production or better, then by all means, I probably should have him higher than I do. But based on his career thus far, it's been terrible. It really has. I think, Particularly I, with yeah. the expectations that were on him coming out of Oklahoma. Um, I just couldn't justify him being in this group of eight that's why he was in the bottom tier yeah look he was the number one pick and they expected him to you draft a guy at number one you expect them to be an elite franchise quarterback and he hasn't been that guy he's getting paid like it he was getting acquired via trade and free agency like a franchise quarterback 
Um, I don't get what people or the experts see in him. I, I just don't. I'm I'm really quite perplexed. No, I mean, look, I could see it in him coming out of college. I understand yeah, why he was the number one, you, but you since can't, he's been You can't in the league, translate the college play. No, you can't no, no, translate no, no, no. that I mean, from I, six years ago to now. I understand why he was the number one pick. I'm saying since then, I have no idea why he's still regarded as highly as he is. No, you know, that's a fair call. I'll, let's go back to the, the 2010 draft. I just I want to bring it up a few players that could have been picked instead of Bradford because Bradford was picked at number one. And then you look at some of the other guys. This was a great draft. Yeah, it was. I, man, uh, I'm going to name a few of the um, players picked in round one. Ndamukong Su, Gerald, Gerald McCoy, excuse me, Trent Williams, Eric Berry, um, Joe Hayden, even CJ Spiller was good for a few years early on in Buffalo. Um, Earl Thomas, Jason Pierre-Paul, Michael Party when he was at San Francisco and they had an elite line. Marquise Pouncey for the Steelers. Jermaine Gresham, Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant, Devin McCourty, who we've talked about earlier in this episode. And then uh, that's just round one. And then I'm leaving a guy out that plays for New England mm-hmm. in Rob Gronkowski. Mm-hmm. So you look at that, that, that list of guys and you think, geez, um, they're, they're, there's some fairly, fairly good players there that, that, they, um, that the Rams elected to, to bypass. And it's a, it's a case of Bradford not um, realizing his potential because based on all those other picks, for him to be in that, that conversation, in that group, I guess, there, there must have been something there. I think part of it, which we've kind of, you know, when you're running through those names if the listeners don't have the full draft list in front of them that, that it's kind of skimmed around is the quality of quarterbacks in this class was awful it's really really bad so the the only other quarterback who got drafted in the first round in 2010 was Tim Tebow yeah no the it only was, it other was quarterbacks bad. that actually people might know of that got drafted Jimmy Clausen Colt, Colt McCoy, McCoy. It's not a good quarterback class. So for the Rams, who you know were in, oh, come on, come on, give Dan Lefevre a break, mate. <laughs> or give Joe Webb a break. He was a, he's a good quarterback. He, he's good at holding the clipboard. <laughs> My point is, you know, for for a team that needs a quarterback, he was it. Basically, he was the only option. Has he panned out? No, I don't think anybody can say that he has panned out as expected, but. Compared to what else was there, they didn't really have many options. No, they didn't. I find it amazing, though, that people thought Minnesota won the trade with Philly when they traded a, like their first-round pick to acquire Bradford um, this year. I thought it was uh, one of those boneheaded moves that really can get a GM fired. Well, we'll have to wait and see, but it's certainly uh, don't think they've won the trade so far. No, definitely not. Look, let's talk a, a few more quarterbacks. We're, we're almost done. So we've got... I, I want to talk about the next two. So I've, I've got Carson Palmer and Dak Prescott. Well, let's so start got, with... Let's start with... Uh, again, I don't want to talk too much about them from my point of view because they're not in what... You have them a little bit higher. Correct. So I, I want to talk about Dak more than Carson. Mm-hmm. Why have you got him there and not higher? Or lower? 
Well, I looked at it, I looked at his stats and then I also went and watched a bit of tape on him because I mean like we get so much Dallas film just from just having all the games on ESPN here and Foxtel. So but they're always on primetime. So we we more or less I've watched probably about uh, 10 of his games and I look at what Dak did and I think okay, how many how many plays that he made, how many could have been made by you know, other quarterbacks, you know, how many were made because of what Dak did as opposed to him having the talent around him because he's got the, in my opinion, he's got the second second best O-line in football last year. clearly the best O-line, Nads. The Raiders is not a better O-line than the Cowboys, but we'll leave that discussion for another time. That's, that's, that's debatable. <laughs> that's, very, that's very debatable. Um, he got, he was able to... Um, have an elite running game with Zeke Elliott. This, this, it's indisputable. Mm-hmm. Um, he had the probably the safest tight end in the league in Jason Witten. Yep. And then you've got a true number one wide receiver in his prime in Des Bryant, who makes any quarterback look good. And and then add on top of that, you've got one of one of at least for a guy like you who's a pro football focused nut, one of the best slot receivers in Cole Beasley. I was going to say Cole Beasley is a very good player. He's um, He fits their offense well. But in terms of what Dak did, I think to only throw four interceptions as a rookie is, you know, it's almost unheard of. Yep. Um, you just don't see it happen that much. And then he got better as the season went on. And, I mean, you look at... You look at his playoff game where they played against Green Bay, and, I mean, look, he lost against Green Bay. But... Look what it took. It mm-hmm. took a Rogers th- dart down the sideline, arguably the best throw of the entire postseason to Jared Cook yep. um, to make it happen. And they still scored 31 points. So it's, it's not as if um, the, the Dallas offense lost them that game. Um, the reason I haven't got him higher is because I'm yet, we're yet to see it like on a regular on a regular basis, and that's that's not to that's not knocking him because he's only had one season. But I look at the other quarterbacks that I've got above him and think, all right, well they've done it for longer. I would rather have them um, on my team. Um, and it's also I think Dak's going to have a bit of a regression to the mean. I mean, you see, like I've said, four interceptions in one season. It's almost unheard of for any quarterback other than like your your Rogers, Matt Ryan, Brady, those those elite guys. Um, so I'll be surprised if Dak has this great a season next year. Um, but it, it, look, we could be talking about Dak next year and saying, look, the guy's a top 10 quarterback. So he's one where I found it really difficult to rank because he's... You couldn't really treat him like a rookie last year based on the way that he was playing, but at the same time, you had to look at the personnel around him, and it's it was a juggling match. No, I agree, and the, I, I just want to harp in on something that you've just said there. The fact that you couldn't treat him like a rookie because of the way he was playing, I think, in a nutshell, is the reason why I've got him higher than this tier. Yeah, good call. I mean, like that's the reason why I had him higher than other guys like Andy Dalton, like Sam Bradford, like Carson Wentz. Um, but I just I couldn't rank him above a few of these other guys. But I mean, it's they're all very similar. 
Yeah. They're and all, that's why we're doing this in tears. We're splitting hairs. Yeah. That's why exactly. we're in tears. Um, do you want to talk about Carson Palmer quickly or leave him for the next lot when I rank him? I think let's talk about him next time because I think we'll be able to have a better a better discussion about where you've put him next time. All right. But it, I'll just quickly say just with Carson Palmer, I, th- I, I think for a guy who's been a, a very much a journeyman quarterback being around the block on a few teams now, he's a guy who's been able to reinvent himself quite a lot and I've been pretty impressed with his quarterback play for Arizona because by all accounts he was more or less washed up um, when he left the Raiders. So I've, I've been very impressed with him. I thought in 2015 he could have potentially even won the MVP award. So... Um, let, let's let's discuss him next next episode um, when you've got him in the next tier, um, and let's move on, shall we? All right, Dunk. So it's been a little bit of a while. I know that um, this is something that you've you've been investigating quite a bit the last the last few days, especially. It's time for your slam dunk. Yeah, Nads. Look, I want to take the take the slam in a different direction this week. So I've been going along the track of somewhat of a rant, somewhat of a you know a rave and a review. This week, I want to have more of a positive direction for the for the slam. So. We're going to talk about homosexuality in professional sports, and it's an interesting topic, and it's it's certainly a topic that a lot of people have an opinion on, um, but it's an issue that's popped up a few times in the last week or so that, that's, that's made me think it's worth discussing at this particular moment. Now, as I said, the issue's been around for a while. You might recall the huge, the, you know, the media circus that embroiled Michael Sam before the 2014 NFL draft. Um, it's, it's a very... It's a polarizing topic. Um, people tend to take very extreme views on it, and and they usually side one way or the other. Now, there's a few things that popped up the in the, in the last week or so. The first one being that the Seattle Seahawks, uh, on their Twitter account, they posted a photo of CenturyLink Field at night, um, and the arches on top of the stadium were lit up with rainbow-colored lights, and the hashtag was hashtag Equality is a Team Sport. And it, it also tagged all of the other major sporting franchises in Seattle um, in it. Now, some of the comments and responses that were on this photo were really, you know, they were horrible. And I, I want to talk about some of them in a minute. Um, but I just wanted to bring this up because this was one of the things that I saw. The other thing that I saw in the last week or so um, was an article. Now, I saw it because it got tweeted by Adam Schefter, but it was also picked up by SB Nation. Um, but it was posted on a website called outsports.com, which labels itself as a voice for LGBT athletes. Now, the article was titled, Former Patriots and Chiefs Tackle Ryan O'Callaghan Comes Out as Gay. For those of you who haven't seen the article, I will retweet it, um, and you can check it on our Twitter accounts um, after the episode goes live. Um, but for those that are unaware, Ryan O'Callaghan was an offensive tackle out of Cal, so he was blocking for Aaron Rodgers during his college days, and he was picked by the Patriots in the fifth round of the 2006 NFL Draft. So it was a few years ago now. Now, throughout his career, he had a pretty average run with injuries. He was waived by the Patriots in 2009 before he got signed by the Chiefs, um, and a shoulder injury forced him to end his career in 2011. It's a really eye-opening article, Nads, and I strongly recommend that all our listeners read it. It basically gives an insight into how Ryan O'Callaghan managed 
his life as a closeted footballer and how he essentially used football as a beard, if you will, to misdirect unwanted attention away from his sexuality. Now, there are a couple of really harrowing points in this article that I, that I want to mention. I'm, I'm not going to read the article word for word because you know I, I think the listeners should go away and do that themselves. But there are a couple of points that I really wanted to bring up that stuck out to me. The first one was that throughout his whole life, O'Callaghan had it planned out that what he was going to do is he was going to play football for as long as he could play football. And then once he couldn't play football anymore, he's going to commit suicide. Because in his mind, once his career was over, he wouldn't be able to hide behind football anymore. His sexuality would then come out and he wouldn't be able to live with it. It's a really harrowing thought when you think about it, Nads. It really is you know, concerning that from the, from his high school days to his the end of his career, his plan was all about, as soon as I'm done, I'm committing suicide because I have nothing left to live for. Fast forward to his professional days a little bit and some of the things that you read about, the lengths that he had to go to to hide the internal battle that was going on inside of his mind. Um, obviously, there's the, the obvious ones like having to find, you know, females to use as arm candy so that people aren't suspicious about his sexuality or throwing around the, you know, oh, yeah, I am dating a girl, but she's back home. She's not, you know, in Massachusetts when he's playing for the Patriots, for example. But there was one in particular that the article mentions, and that is that after every practice, O'Callaghan would head straight to the training room and consume copious amounts of coffee as an excuse to avoid showering with the rest of his teammates. So he had to pretend that he was some sort of coffee fanatic and that after every training, he had to drink a huge amount of it just so that he could avoid the awkward situation of being in the showers with the rest of his team. Now, I want to reiterate again that everybody should read this article. I think it's really well written, but also it really identifies a couple of key issues that you know people face. But the message I want them want the listeners to take away from this article and when you read it is that although you might think, sorry, although you might not think it, each and every one of us as an individual, we have the power to do a world of good or a world of harm, depending on what we do in certain situations. It's, it, it essentially comes down to the power of one. So when you say something to somebody that you might not think has any material consequence, the reality is it does. It does to someone. You might not know who, you know, might not know in what way, but the reality is it does. So what I want people to remember is, is to take you know, a stance of if, if there is a possibility in your mind that what you say isn't going to be taken in a positive light, don't say it, okay? I want to highlight from this story the actions of Scott Pioli. So Scott Pioli, um, he was the vice president of player personnel at the Patriots when Callahan was drafted. Um, and then he moved across to be the general manager of the Chiefs. And he was also the guy that was responsible for bringing O'Callaghan across after he got waived by the Patriots. He's now the assistant general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. So, as I said, Pioli was the guy who brought O'Callaghan across to the Chiefs after he was waived by the Pats. But what I want to talk about is um, Pioli's actions throughout this saga. So, after the 2011 season, which is O'Callaghan's last season, um, after he'd, he'd busted his shoulder and had pretty much you know, resigned himself to the fact that A, his career was over, and B, that he was going to have to kill himself... He, he 
had to go through some counselling and eventually he, he came to the decision that he was going to tell Pioli that, that he was gay. And he rang Pioli and said, like, asked for a meeting. And Pioli recalls it as that he sounded very serious on the phone. And he said, and I quote, he had built this up like he was coming in to tell me that maybe he had done something truly terrible. Now, what Pioli is alluding to, I, I, I mean, your guess is as good as mine, but with some of the stories that come out about NFL players, you know, domestic violence, murder, rape, etc., you can imagine the things that are running through Pioli's mind. So the next day comes around, they go to the meeting, and after some small talk, O'Callaghan finally came out to Pioli, told him that he was gay. Pioli responded immediately with support, but then said, so what's this huge problem that you wanted to talk to me about? And O'Callaghan just couldn't grasp that, you know, this wasn't a big deal to everybody. And that, you know, if, if people have that supporting positive mentality, when somebody tells you something or when you say something to somebody, the power is huge. Just that willingness to be accepting and treat him as a human being and not some scourge on society for his sexual orientation had a hugely positive impact on O'Callaghan. Now, I'm not going to drag it on any further. I strongly encourage everyone to read the article. But I want to tie this all back into where we started. So when I look through the Twitter comments on the Seahawks post that I mentioned at the start and see people, I'm not going to quote any of them. I'm not going to name names or anything like that. If you really want to read them, you can go and find them yourselves. It's not that hard to find. But when you see people complaining about how football and sexual orientation have nothing to do with each other and that teams shouldn't get involved in the politics of this and having a crack at the Seahawks for posting it and then having a crack at the people who are commenting with positive comments, those people that do that are the problem that we have with society, Nads. Those people who can't accept somebody else's opinion, somebody else's way of life, orientation, view, whatever, that's the problem that we have. Society is becoming more and more progressive as time goes on and people are struggling to, de to deal with that change. But for me, you don't have to agree with another person's particular view on an issue. You don't have to agree with another person's sexual orientation. You don't have to agree with another person's religion. Whatever it is, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to do the same things that they do. What you do have to do is accept that they're a human being and they're entitled to that view, that orientation, that belief just as much as you're entitled to your own. So don't go out of your way to call them out on it. Don't go out of your way to, to put them down, to treat them differently. Treat them like the human being they are. Treat them with respect, treat them with kindness, and treat them equally. And the sooner that professional sports fans start treating others that are different to them with those qualities, the sooner that professional sports will become a welcoming home for people of different backgrounds, for players like O'Callaghan who battle with you know, issues surrounding their sexuality. And we won't need to hear stories like this coming out in, in mainstream media where you hear of guys who had to battle with the thought of suicide his whole life because he wasn't accepted by people for who he is. Nads, in my view, there really shouldn't be an issue here. And, and I just, I struggle to grasp why people have to react in the way they do. But I think it's a really powerful message that comes out of this article. Not only the things that O'Callaghan's doing now to try and provide support to people that are going through the same things he's gone through, you know, young footballers that are coming through and battling similar issues, but also the actions of people like Pioli who treat it positively and really make a difference to the individual's life. Yeah, look, that's a, a very, very interesting um, article that you've, we're going to have to 
um, put up on our Twitter. I mean, I look at football, I look at sport in general as a platform for all walks of life, no matter who they are, um, no matter what their background is, um, no matter personal beliefs. It's They all sort of get thrown out the window for me. I think it's a really good platform where everyone is on an equal footing. And sport sports teams, professional sports franchises in particular, have they have a really a really um, good opportunity to be at the forefront of what is becoming a movement of just equality of all people. Yeah. And it's it's something that I think we're going to be seeing more of in the in the coming years, that's for sure. No. And that's as as more people become um, more open and more accepting of, of just other people's opinions. No, you're spot on. And I think that's that's the thing. We just have to, as I said, you don't have to agree with people. You don't have to share their beliefs. You don't have to have the same sexual orientation, whatever it is. You just have to be accepting that every individual is entitled to their own view and their own way of life. That's exactly. it. Exactly. And, and dare I say, in 50, 50 60 years from now, I... I I hope that this isn't an issue. No. I really do. It shouldn't be an issue. It really shouldn't. All right. Well, that wraps us up for another episode of Any Given Monday. Make sure that you check us out on Twitter. So um, I'm at, at HBNadolny, N-A-D-O-L-N-Y. Duncan is at the song D-S-O-A-N-G. Um, we're also, we've got our Any Given Monday social media account. So we've got our Facebook account at any given Monday POD, and we're also on Twitter at any given MON POD. Yeah, look, it was a huge show this week. Next week, guys, we've got uh, more player rankings coming your way. We've got linebackers, we've got edge rushes to talk about. Uh, on top of that, we've got the next tier of quarterbacks, so the next eight guys from 16 to 9. Uh, it's going to be a huge show, of course. There'll be the always poignant slam dunk. And uh, we might even bring back Arsene ads depending on the questions that come in. All right. Sounds good, Dunk. In the meantime, keep fighting for those inches. Take care. Bye. He's